OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Poffin, and let's please welcome Tino Reyes. Very excited to have you today as our investor. Welcome. It's been a real pleasure to have you join us. Tino, thank you for joining us. JP, hey, thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, really excited to, to get, in the, get in the weeds here with you. Love it. Likewise, likewise. Uh, well, Tino, we've been chatting and working together, I guess, for the last few months. And what I really like about is you have this oil banking background that really kind of defines and really drives in nicely into how entrepreneurship works. Because when it comes to money, that's what VCs and investors are looking for. And I think you've got a lot of that great insight. So we're going to dive into that today. But the way we like to start is maybe you can give us a little bit more on your background, uh, where you've come from, the things that you've done, where you're at today, and then one thing about you that nobody would know. Definitely. Yeah. So I have a semi-traditional uh, background coming to VC, you know, having gone through the investment banking side uh, as my on the path towards the the VC side, and yeah, I went to Brown uh, University. I uh, I studied business economics, and uh, I had the unfortunate experience of of graduating during the the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, and uh, you know, I was really passionate about corporate finance. I really I, I've always been interested in investing and how companies uh, raised capital and how they really got investors to really buy in and believe into their narratives. And so, you know, I was in, uh, applying to all these investment banking jobs and probably applied to over a hundred and I didn't get uh, any responses. Uh, nobody was hiring at all. Uh, but luckily enough, uh, you know, oil, oil prices were peaking at this time. And so there was one vertical where I was able to get, uh, you know, some traction and, uh, you know, so oil and gas, I was lucky enough to, to get an interview with, uh, well, well to, to actually go back to that, I mean, I, I, I got a job with Goldman Sachs doing private wealth, uh, obviously not corporate finance, not investment banking. But uh, my hypothesis there was if I can get in the door and, and network and, and learn enough, I'll be able to make the connections to the people that will open the door uh, for me down the road. And it, Goldman Sachs was great. Uh, they have this thing called Goldman Sachs University, which uh, is pretty much think of it like uh an investment banking training course that that analysts, junior analysts, go through when they they join the firm. And even though I wasn't part of the investment banking group, they the Goldman Sachs University is something that they open up to the whole uh, employee force. And so I went through all of the the investment banking modules, all the junior training programs, and and figured, hey, this is this has put me in a place where you know I can go to these interviews comfortably. And let's start networking. And so uh, I was lucky enough to meet an ex-Goldman Sachs banker who had just become the head of uh, Bank of Nova Scotia's oil and gas M&A practice in Houston. Uh, so like I said, uh, oil and gas prices were, were through the roof around this time. Uh, they were doing a lot of deals. And so they were, they were building out the, the team. And uh, you know, he liked that uh, you know, I'd, he'd taken the initiative to, to go through all that Goldman Sachs stuff while working you know, on the private wealth side. And so yeah, there was a really good fit and uh, he hired me from Goldman and I joined their team in Houston. And I spent some time there 
Um, this was around late 2008, early 2009. Uh, during this time period, we started to see the Asian national oil companies, uh, you know, the CMPCs, the KNOX of the world, start to really step up their investment in, in North American assets in Canada, uh, in America. And so there was a real need to set up uh, an office in the Asia uh, region to, to kind of service this new deal flow. And so at the time, Bank of Nova Scotia only had one MD in their Singapore office. They didn't really have any of that infrastructure, the junior uh, yeah, analyst associate uh, work that you, you use, like your, your financial models, your pitch book templates to go, to go around and doing deals. And so uh, they, they offered me an opportunity to go uh, to Singapore. And uh, so I, you know, I, I definitely couldn't turn it down. Um, I'm actually, I'm Filipino. So I have a, you know, I have a good, good Asian background. Um, a lot of my family is still there. So it was great. Uh, Singapore is just a, a hop right over the, the pond. So it's a, it's a quick flight and it was a, it was a good opportunity to get back to my Asian roots. Uh, so I, I did that for several years. And um, one of my MDs from Houston at the Bank of Nova Scotia was hired by Standard Chartered Bank uh, to start up their Hong Kong oil and gas practice uh, under the similar uh, hypothesis of Asia expanding. And uh, you know he saw what I had you know, done in uh, Bank of Nova Scotia and Singapore and really wanted me to kind of you know, spur that, that building process in Hong Kong. And so he pulled me and I joined uh, the Hong Kong team there. Uh, so yeah, I did that for about two years. And then I did my last stop uh, of like my little oil and gas tour uh, from Houston, Singapore, Hong Kong, and I finished up in Calgary, obviously the, the heartland of Canadian oil and gas, uh, spent some time there uh, and finished it up. And yeah, it was, uh, this was around 2013 when I was starting, I was a little, I was starting to get a little burned out of the lifestyle. I mean, it is, it is to an extent true what they say, you know, your 80, 90 hour work weeks. And also I was just never passionate about oil and gas. Um, it's, it's a great business. It's a great learning opportunity. But uh, once you get into that flow of just talking about oil and gas fields with geologists and engineers day in and day out, if you're lacking that passion for it, it's really hard to motivate yourself to, to keep on moving forward and moving up, which is, you know, uh, I'm still ambitious at this stage. Uh, I still am now. Uh, but so anyway, what I saw in 2013, you know, VC capital was starting to get, it starting to really pick up. Uh, everyone was, you know, into startups. Everyone wanted to, to build their own startup or work with a startup. And I, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, I'm really passionate about that. I wanted to be uh, in the startup ecosystem. I wanted to work with them, not even from an investment standpoint, but I just really saw this white space where founders, they didn't even have the priority or the resources to hire not only a a full-time CFO, but a part-time CFO. That's not something that's really considered. You know, you don't even typically, as you would know, you don't see a, a full-time CFO on a founding team until probably post uh, Series B. But having said that, uh, you know, there's three to four rounds where a founder could leverage that kind of deal experience running point. It's almost like a full-time job uh, running a fundraise. So I saw an opportunity to, to leverage my experience there. And it was beautiful because it, it almost created a, a negative customer acquisition cost funnel into the, the fund that uh, my wife and I had started to, 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 we wanted to invest in startups as well. So it was great. I was getting this deal flow where startups were paying me their advisory shares or consulting fee to, to help them out. And then I could also invest in them if, if I wanted to. And so, yeah, I've been doing that for about eight years, eight or nine years now since I left uh, investment banking in 2013. And yeah, just continuously, I love talking to founders. I love talking to investors. 
Um, definitely taking a page out of your playbook. You, you seem to be living the dream. So looking to, to one day be at your level, uh, hopefully soon. Well, you know, that's a, that's a great story and you know, it, it's interesting, but you fell in the place that you probably least expected yourself to fall into, which is oil and gas. And I'm pretty sure that over the journey of your uh, cycle in working with early stage companies or investing, you will come full circle and you'll probably end up doing more things in oil and gas than you'll believe. Uh, because I do believe that the things that you start working on early on in your career, they built a comfort level, but they also build a strong knowledge that maybe a lot of people don't have. And you'll end up going back to that because you see that you can rocket ship a few things and they'll fall in the plate just the way you kind of expect them to uh, later on in your career. So I think it's uh, it's pretty exciting what you've gone through. And before we dive into all of this, one thing about you that nobody would know. Oh, one thing that nobody knows about me. Uh... I am a diehard dynasty fantasy football junkie. If, I, if I'm not talking to founders, if I'm not talking to investors, if I'm not with my friends or family, I am doing something related to dynasty fantasy football. And yeah, my, actually my only other podcast appearance was uh, on a, a fantasy football show. Shout out to the high stakes fantasy football hour. <laughs> That was good. I did actually listen in on that. So it was, uh, it was some interesting oh, wow. content for sure. So, uh, yeah, there, there, are I'm, uh, there, there are investment. Yeah. I'm happy to go into that later if, if you find it interesting, but yeah, there are, there are similarities. Oh, there certainly is. And uh, I'm surprised though, that being you're Filipino, uh, that you're not telling me that you're an NBA fan. So I'm, I'm shocked oh, no, that I it's gone into the football. NBA. So <laughs> I am, I am an NBA fan. It's just, uh, yeah, the NBA, the fantasy basketball, it's a different animal from football. When you only have like, you know, the, the 16, 17 games a season, it's old, but uh, it's different, right? Every game counts, whereas having an 82-game season, it's all, uh, yeah, the the calculus changes. So, But uh, I do love, are you watching the playoffs? I'm definitely not missing a game right now. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I've been kind of working abroad, so my uh, travel schedule and uh, the matches don't always line up, so I have caught a few matches, but uh, um, I do know that Filipinos are very heavily hearted towards uh, basketball, so um, I actually, we have an office in the Philippines and have for 15 years, so uh, we've, oh, um, I've worked there, I've been there probably uh, at least a dozen plus times, we'll uh, maybe more than that. There. Big fan, big fan of the Philippines. So uh, our office is in actually in uh, Cebu and we were in Manila and Cebu, but I tend to go there quite a bit. So a uh, big fan, shout out to all the Filipinos. They were our rock stars. Yeah, you have and, to let uh, me know next time you're there. Oh, 100%. Know. Oh, I certainly will. And um, in saying that though, uh, I think when you go back to the uh, the oil and gas side and, and looking and diving into kind of that experience that you had, and again, this is on the financial side, Oil and gas actually today as an investment opportunity has taken a real beating on how people want to invest their dollars. Media has driven out that this is bad, electric's good, and try to really demolish the value of what these companies can actually achieve. But on the other side, there's been a lot of value coming back into oil and gas because they're finding ways to be more economical, more efficient, and, and impactful to protect uh, the way that they're actually taking out oil. So we've been seeing a lot of great startups that have been coming in and, and kind of changing a lot of the tools and ways that this business operates, which is making it a lot cleaner and more efficient. 
in that journey, when you were creating these different companies, uh, one, again, you're obviously utilizing that entrepreneurial spirit, which is being very entrepreneurial, dropping into Singapore, uh, dropping into Calgary and being able to build up these different ent entities in Hong Kong. What are some of the experiences that you gained while doing this? Because expanding into different regions and being a first time in there and not knowing anyone does take a lot of effort and takes a lot of uh, communication, collaboration skills. Is there anything you can share while you were doing this that kind of helped you maneuver through this quicker? Because a lot of startups today are looking, getting pressure from their, their venture firm partners that say, hey, you need to scale, you need to get into different countries. What can you kind of share on what that experience was like and, and ways that you were able to move quicker and maneuver inside of a, a new country for yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, moving to, to Singapore, while, while I do have some family in the Philippines, I, I didn't have any contacts in Singapore uh, other than the people at, at Bank of Nova Scotia. And uh, you know, it was only my managing director uh, at that point. Um, so, yeah, what uh, the experience I learned is that, you know, you have to, you have to take some risks. Uh, I obviously it wasn't uh, something that I was 100% sure would, would work out, but I knew that it would expand my comfort level. It, it took me out of my comfort level and it would force me to, to build out relationships, uh, which is hard for me. I'm actually uh, an introvert. Uh, so it's, it, it forced me to, to get out of that, that introvert uh, comfort zone. And, and it taught me that, you know, you need to take risks and you need to put yourself out there if you want to continually leveling up. And at the end of the day, you know, if you're ambitious and you want to go after it, I think that that was the biggest takeaway, uh, especially. Yeah. And so moving to Singapore, I didn't know anybody, but I forced myself to, 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 go, to go meet people, meet people that, you know, even outside of oil and gas, uh, just people in, in all walks of life uh, to understand what Singapore is all about, what the culture is. And you really need that kind of understanding before you can even have business conversations with people, right? You need to have that, that personal connection first. Uh, you can always jump into a cold call or you know, a warm outreach and, and, and have some kind of outcome from a call like that, but it's not really gonna have anything definitive if you don't build those personal relationships. So I feel that Singapore moving outside of the US was a great opportunity. I probably would have been more of a, just uh, an introvert if I stayed in the US because that's my natural inclination. And I, I probably wouldn't, if I didn't move to Singapore, uh, while I don't have any Singaporean investments or clients at this stage, I definitely wouldn't be uh, where I am right now uh, in terms of the network and the, the, the deals I've worked on if I didn't really make the effort to, to take that risk in, in moving to Singapore. So yeah, I encourage anybody, anybody who's in uh, you know early 20s or late 20s who, are, who has an opportunity, to, to step outside of the country, uh, you'll learn a lot. Um, you'll learn a lot about yourself and, and you'll eat a lot of great food. Well, there's obviously some pluses with the great food. I think that when you, you say you took the risk and I, I like the fact that you denoted it as a risk because really at the end of the day, there is this fear of doing something different or pushing yourself to be in a place that's of unknown, unknown or you haven't done it before. And you mentioned this when you were in Goldman Sachs that you joined uh, into these groups where you got to network internally through this university. So you got to meet a lot of great people. You got educated around things. Uh, and what I liked about that is that when I went from entrepreneur into big corporate, 
I also felt that I needed to draw attention to me, bring people to me because I'm not uh, myself personally, same as you is very introverted, just like to do my own thing and felt, well, I got to get out of my comfort zone. So the only way I can get out of my comfort zone was to put myself into the mix. So I would join the rowing team. I was on, uh, felt like I joined the debate team, but they didn't have a debate team, but they did lunch and learns. And I tried to go to everything. Even if I was just quiet in the background, I got to meet people because they saw me or I saw them. And I felt that that really kind of helped me, maybe not in the future, but it stepping stones to help you get out of that, uh, your comfort, which is just in your own head or doing your own thing. So it, it shows that, you know, those little steps that you've taken along the way opened you up and then got you to take the risk of going into another country and meeting people in that fashion. Now, when you were building this business out and you were kind of driving these areas, how did the trust factor work? How did you kind of balance through what were the right players, what were the wrong players, and what were able to get you to the goal that you needed, which was obviously impress and help the business that you were there to build? Uh, get them interested the, through the KPIs you're building. How did you kind of figure out through those different means? Because again, it's a whole different country. Yeah, definitely. And and yeah, just uh, I uh, I did play a part in in building out those offices, but I don't want to take definitely all the credit. And and yeah, I want to give a shout out to uh, to JP Cheng, my managing director at, at Scotia Bank, and, and Harsh Chowda, uh, my my VP at uh, at Standard Charter Bank. Uh, they really were my first two mentors, um, you know, they took me under their wing and really showed me uh, what Asia was all about, uh, not just from an oil and gas perspective, but again, like uh, we were talking about just the culture, how to deal with people. It's a totally different uh, uh, process uh, when you're dealing with with investors and in companies there. Uh, so they, they they really took me under their wing and, and, and treated me like a, a little brother. And, and you know, those, these, those two uh, people really Put me in a place uh, where I am now, and so that's what I would say is leverage uh, not only the people your superior who are your superiors, but look for people who have had successful backgrounds in in what you're passionate about and what you want to be involved with, and you will find people. You know, not everyone will want to mentor you, but you will find some good people out there who will take the time uh, to mentor you and show you the real way to to really develop as a as a not only for your career, but as a person. And so I would, it's, it's, it's always been it, people, people really showed me the way through um, after I moved to Singapore and then moving to Hong Kong again, like in Hong Kong, I didn't know anybody. It's not, wasn't the Philippines, obviously a little bit more Filipino people in Hong Kong, but yeah, it didn't really have that network. So those two people, JP and Harsh, uh, really, really owe a lot to them to, to where I am today. And it sounds like, any founder or anybody in general that when they're going to try to do something new, they should always connect in and try to find people. And, you know, I'll use um, a line that uh, was part of one of our um, uh, past interviews. And what was, what was interesting is um, his, his name was Luca and he shared that, you know, the idea of getting this network or this tribe, and you just mentioned that, and, and I think it makes a, a big difference, but, you know, I think if um, you, you kind of have to really put yourself out there and really try, but, you know, network is a support system and then you need to find it. You need to find your tribe. And I think that was how Luca kind of phrased it. And it sounds like it's the same thing that you're, you're going at, which is really cool is that when you're in this space, you don't know who you're going to be talking to. You're going to be working through things, find an expert, find someone that 
really can believe in your passion, your drive, what you're trying to achieve. And from a founder's perspective, that's huge. But then taking this to the next level, it's also not just getting people that support you uh, and believing in you, but it's also trying to find people that are going to be there long-term. And perhaps, um, you know, and I found this when um, with my my first few mentors, especially when I created the first office in the Philippines, uh, Ben, who was my mentor from my Loblaws days, um, we met in the Philippines. And that's how we put everything together. And it was just amazing because he was older, put, took me under his wing. We both coded. We both did all these great things together. Super techie, call it nerdy stuff, but big fan. But he brought me around, taught me everything. And even today, when I network with people, the connection I have to Filipinos versus anybody else is so completely different because I understand the culture because I've been around them for 20 years in such an intrinsic value of how they work and function in their city, the country, because I've been there so many times. And it's it's just amazing how fast you can connect because you have a connection point. So now I think founders really need to figure out what is my connection point into a business, into a business associate or somebody else. And hopefully these types of interviews and videos help people relate to that because I think that's the toughest part of building a company is getting somebody that really believes in you to mentor, but also clients that believe in what you're doing. And maybe you can share a bit about that journey because it sounds like you had to do a lot of that with your two mentors, but you're building up your own tribe while you're in each of these countries. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, but I, I think, um, I'm sorry, that was a long-winded question. Did, did, did you get to the, uh, the point again? Oh, it was long-winded. I was kind of throwing a story in there, but I think that the key is that, uh, or the, I guess the real meat potatoes of this is that when you were going into these cities, you had your mentors helping you, but then as you went into the newer cities as your second and third time, uh, you probably took a lot of that tailwind yourself and started to kind of drive in. You had more confidence and you were starting to build this up quicker. What were some of the key points that you got out of this in order to network and build people that wanted to be part of the team that you were driving? Uh, building your own tribe out, I guess, is the best way to call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it's probably to, to maybe shift that from the investment banking to the, um, the consultancy uh, in terms of building out that tribe. Uh, like I told you, I was I was never really passionate about oil and gas, so... Once I had kind of built up that confidence, once JP and Harsh had kind of you know gotten me to a point where I could start to to run on my own, I was already at a point where you know I was starting to figure like re figure out in my head, is this something that I, I want to be doing for the next ten to fifteen years going into oil and gas? And so you know what I did was I took the learnings uh, from Singapore, from Hong Kong, of having to put yourself out there and having to make those personal connections uh, and then apply that to how I was going to start the consultancy. Uh, Cause obviously again, I was starting from scratch, no startup connections whatsoever. No founder is going to want to talk to an oil and gas uh, banker uh, right, just right off the bat and, and no investor, no VC investor is going to go to an oil and gas banker for, for deal flow. So uh, again, I took those learnings of just having to, Put yourself out of, I mean, my comfort zone, uh, and and trying to go out and meet people. And and LinkedIn uh, is a great tool. Uh, Upwork, um, it was a great tool. It still is a great tool. Um, these platforms uh, are are big funnels for me. And like what you said uh, previously, uh, you know about about that personal connection. That's the way I like to uh, guide founders into trying to build these connections with potential investors or uh, advisory board members, you know, it's not something you want to reach out with, uh, your first, uh, connection with the person to say, Hey, I'm raising capital, or, uh, I want someone to sit on my board. Uh, what do you think of this? 
uh, you need to always lead with uh, the personal element of it. And again, having left the US uh, and having needed to, to learn that, that's what taught me uh, how to go apart building the tribe for the startup consultancy. And it's, it's really, yeah, it's, been, it's been beneficial. Again, it's not the same vertical whatsoever, but just taking the learnings and seeing, hey, these are just people. You know, if you make a personal connection, you find out how you can relate to them in some sort of way, you've broken down a barrier and then now you can get to a place where you can talk about impact stuff that impacts each other from a risk perspective or an investment perspective. And being able to build uh, that value into the startups by using your background in uh, finance and banking, how has that helped you steer the startup founders? Because I probably would say there's a, a smaller amount of founders that actually really understand the numbers and the real heavy lifting of a business when it comes to that, as you mentioned, they don't typically bring somebody in until your series B for a full-time CFO. So now having you come in and being able to operate that, how much faster is that uh, escalated your companies to be able to learn quicker and move through the ecosystem faster because they're actually getting a faster understanding from your abilities of working within those spaces and helping them drive out better, stronger numbers, even in year one versus waiting until year four. Yeah, really. It, it is hard. I mean, a lot of obviously a lot of founders uh, are not going to have uh, financial backgrounds just because of the nature of, of having diverse backgrounds. So, it, yeah, I've seen uh, I've been able to help people. I think the biggest question uh, that investors have for founders is not so much, hey, walk me through your model or show me your model. But the, what investors or what I believe investors really want to understand is, is how is a founder using the model? to make decisions rather than what are the outputs of the model saying. Uh, at this stage, as you would know, most of these numbers uh, you know, aren't, aren't based on anything historical, maybe at the series A or B post level, but uh, you know, pre-seed, seed, there hasn't really been any, even if you have sales already, there, there's no historical precedent to go back and kind of use that to, to defend your, your outputs, your projections. So how I like to frame it is, tell the, is, is telling them, hey, what they're trying to get out of this by asking you for the model is seeing how is this founder just making decisions? Yeah, is it, is it numerical? Are they, are they using assumptions? Uh, where are they getting those assumptions for? Are they basing those assumptions in fact? Um, have, they, have they tested these assumptions and gotten feedback from other people out maybe outside of their own startup, but who are in their industry uh, and just getting all that feedback? And if they're using that to make decisions rather than just blindly walking around uh, you know, in the jungle, trying to say, well, we're gonna produce this much this year and, and X and whatnot. Uh, so that, that's how I like to, to guide um, that process. And I, I think it's, it's been helpful uh, in framing it that way, because I, I think, again, it's going back to when you're going to networking with people. And again, instead of leading with, I need an investment or I need advisory board member. And again, with the personal connection, that's a, a way for them to show, you know, it, it shows the investors what you are as a founder. It shows their, your makeup, right? They're not, they, again, they don't want to, again, the, all numbers look good. If the numbers look good, that, that definitely helps, but that's not the first thing that an investor would be looking for. So that's how I try to coach uh, my clients in terms of perspective. And then apart from the financial model, uh, I think uh, helping on the narrative is, is a big thing that I've taken away from the investment banking days, you know, as a, investment banking analyst or associate, you're cranking out hundreds of pitch books a day. And as you would know, a startup pitch book is, is, is obviously different from uh, a public market uh, pitch deck. But 
having said that, they all have the same narrative. They all have the same flow uh, and structure. And so just using that and being able to, to hone that and tighten that, maybe not from a numbers perspective, but just from a, a details and a contents perspective, uh, that's something I, I definitely like to, to be a part of it and help help with. So being on the uh, the football side and taking the the strategy side and the elements that you use inside of where you're picking the best players, putting together this great team and driving this forward and, and having a successful season, take some of those learnings, tie that into everything that you've kind of constructed with working with startups. Is there such a, uh, a crossover where you're able to help them better understand their team dynamics, help them understand you're obviously helping them with the financial models. So on the team and the financials and building that narrative, how much of your background do you feel is really playing into how you're helping these companies succeed? Uh, probably, probably not on the, the founder side, uh, because I think uh, dynasty fantasy football, it's more of a, an investment game. You're investing in, in assets, you're investing in the players. So uh, I think some of those takeaways uh, have been better to uh, shed light on investment strategies to other investors rather than to founders. Uh, just to go into yeah, some detail, uh, just, uh, just strategy uh, thoughts, um, just uh, flowing here on, on fantasy football. So you have your running backs uh, and then you have your wide receivers, right? And because of the nature of the sport, uh, there are so very few premier running backs that, uh, that dominate the game. Whereas wide receivers, uh, because of college football and uh, this, uh, the, the progress of, of pro-style offenses that have been, that have been coming up in, in the college game, there are a lot of uh, uh, pro-ready wide receivers that are coming into the game. So immediately right, right there, right, you see a dichotomy because they're both assets in this, in the, they're different assets class, but in the same kind of investment that you're making. And so the, the running backs having that low supply and demand you know, they're more of like your brand names, right? They're the, your Apples, your Facebooks, your Netflixes. Those are the people that you want to spend time investing in, even when, uh, you know, they might not be that dominant running back right now. And so because of Dynasty, uh, Dynasty is not a season long game where, yeah, you, you pick your players and then at the end of the season, goodbye. Uh, the, what I, why I love Dynasty is because you can actually make an investment in a person their rookie year when they're not uh, established yet. And you can see that kind of growth. And so, so that strategy, like just looking at running backs versus wide receivers, that helped me see in the public markets, not so much for DC, but for, for uh, public markets, which I, I do trade options on the side, uh, just being able to correlate those, you know, the running backs with the, the brand names and then the wide receivers is kind of more like your commodities uh, because there's so many of them, you know, you don't really need to, you know, no one's going to be investing in some commodity um, you know, for a long time, it's a, it's a, it's a different game commodities versus the fan stocks. So, uh, that, that was like a, a direct takeaway I've seen, uh, from, from fantasy football that I've applied to my, my trading in the public markets. No, that's, that's uh, very fascinating because I think it carries very well into the way you strategize for investing in early stage companies. If you think about it, you've got the, the flashy shirt, which is your wide receiver. You've got, uh, your plain black and white shirt, and that's your uh, Apple or your long-term play. It's your go-to all the time. So when you start to look at the early stage startup scene, it's can this company scale and can this become a billion dollar company? Will people want to keep buying into this? And, or is this going to be a flash quick sale 
where you'll get three, four years out of it. It'll drive some big dollars, but you're going to be in and out of this business. And when investors are putting together a portfolio, they're looking at what these exits look like. Is this a, a company that's going to grow and build for a very long time and be a, a 20 year Netflix, or is this going to be a, a short burst like clubhouse? Maybe clubhouse still has success, but I felt like clubhouse was the now skyrocketed and I have a feeling it's not so big anymore. Um, but don't quote me on that, but I have a feeling that that's kind of the direction it went. So that's your wide receiver, which is it has its play. It's done a great thing, but now it's taken a bit of a beating and now it's dropped its uh, value down because it's not finding its right market. It's not in the right space, but it did take off really quickly at the beginning because of the success and the drive it had and the problem it was solving. So there is a lot of short and long-term plays that you do in investing. And taking that analogy of the wide and short receiver, I think that that works out just as long as you're looking into that early stage, where is this company going to be in 10 years or where is it going to be in five? And you might actually be able to take that analogy and say, if I invest, we have to sell this in five. If I invest, we, this one's going to go longer and it's okay to stay in this past 10 years because it's going to be a, another apple. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there, yeah, going back to the fantasy football analogy, there is, there are, um, well, I kind of related the, the fantasy to the public markets. They, they, there are actually what this, it's called uh, development leagues where you draft college people. So that's kind of like the VC, uh, at the VC kind of fantasy football side of it, where you, you're taking those long-term investments uh, into people when they haven't even got re reached the pro level. So yeah, again, yeah, they're just takeaways. And I, that's why I love it. Um, I love the, the risk reward of it uh, in both investing and in fantasy football and, and the fact that I'm able to take learnings to apply to both. That's just, uh, uh, icing on the cake. I agree. No, it's phenomenal. And I think it's a great analogy on how to operate inside of any investment or asset ownership and deciding where this fits as short or long-term and value, if it's going to be a hit or it's going to be a high rise and a quick fall. So uh, I think a lot of investors look at that and try to envision where this is going to go. And it's pretty crucial for early stage investors because they really have to see, is this business going to be here in five years or 10? And if I put my capital into it, is it going to build and grow or am I going to see a spike and a drop off because people will get bored of the product or the service? 100%. So in taking that, and I guess in encompassing all these great things that you've kind of built yourself on and being able to build in different countries, focus on early stage companies, are there a couple of things that you can share just in your journey that really stand out on how you like to see and the types of companies that you like to work with? And is it the founders? Is it the business? Is it this uh, product? Are there a couple of things that really stand out in your mind that you really drive interest into? Uh, and then how do you get those founders to really propel those businesses forward? Because you obviously have an attention for them and you like them. So what are some of the ways that you get those founders to really drive and push their businesses quicker and faster to scale? Yeah. In terms of what I'm looking for, again, going just back to the human element of it, it's the people uh, looking into the team as much as possible. Uh, you mentioned people and, and product and whatnot at this stage for me, it's about 70% uh, people in the team and roughly 30% product service idea uh, when I'm making the investment. I like to know their backgrounds, uh, what previous startups they founded, uh, what previous startups they've worked at, um, you know, what their career was like before becoming a founder. Uh, how do they respond to feedback? Uh, how do they respond to setbacks? Or how have they responded to setbacks in the past? Uh, what's motivating them to do this? 
uh, why are they passionate about why they are doing this? And which is something, you know, that, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to really glean from maybe some more of those corporate CEOs. You don't get that at the, the VC level. I also like to know, obviously, as I mentioned, the advisory board is really important to me. So who's on their advisory board? Um, I believe it's the, the advisory board is the second most important investment a founder can make after investing in their founding team. Uh, I really believe that. So that's a really big trigger for me. Um, having a, an advisory board with diverse backgrounds and experiences really sticks out uh, to investors. Uh, and then also like what, uh, the, what's on the cap table? What are the, what are the background of the, the people in the cap table who are already invested? Uh, and what have they done in the past? Uh, all of that stuff is, is, is really important to me. And then apart from the people stuff, yeah, I'll look at you know, website traffic, user growth, marketing ROI. Uh, and it's also, it's also helpful to look at the, the whole broader market in general of the vertical. I'll look at the competition. How are they growing and performing? What their valuations look like currently, uh, if they're public or, or as per their last funding round, and what their recent transactions were like in the vertical. Um, that's what I'm looking for. And then in terms of how do I help those, those founders, again, yeah, it's with, with some of the things that I told you about. So um, the, the pitch book, uh, the financial model, really helping them craft their narrative and the focus. Because, yeah, pitch, the pitch deck, I've seen pitch decks that, you know, a person would say, hey, this is, there's nothing sexy about this. How did this get funding? At the end of the day, it's how you deliver that story. So, uh, yeah, helping a founder get a lot of pitch reps is, is something I, I try to do. And then also... Yeah, helping them build out the advisory board. If there's anyone I see in my network who can jack up your valuation four to five X, well, wouldn't you make that trade for 0.1 to 1% advisory shares every day of the week? I think you would if you ask nine out of 10 founders that they would. So that, that's what I look to do. Because um, if, if I don't see any way that I can add value, I, I don't want to waste your time. But so that's, that's what I like. I like to leverage the network and, and yeah, and focus on the, the narrative and the, the fundraise. That's how I push them to succeed after we get involved. I love it. And I like the fact that you, uh, as you quoted there, that the advisory board is number two after the team. And, and I think that's very impactful. And then diving into the data, really analyzing all aspects of the business. So it's not just once you've got through the people side of it, it's then understanding the data, the metrics to make sure that this is a fully functional. So there's your banking background is driving into the numbers and the data, which I love. And it, it is huge makes a big difference once you understand that because if, if you're not diving into it, I think it's an injustice to know that the company isn't driving the the likes or the the views or having page views or the conversions. You know, it loses a, a lot of value uh, from an investment standpoint if you're just going on a whim and hoping that uh, your gut tells you this is a good company. So uh, I like that you dive into all of those and helping build with that financial model. That's uh, that's awesome. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna kind of transition now from taking all that great stuff and we're gonna dive into uh, kind of like a use case. And if you could share maybe an experience with either one of your founders or uh, just some, uh, I guess, storyline around what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And maybe you have a story of either yourself or uh, through any of the founders that you that you invest in or work with on what it kind of takes to, to be an investor and what she or he went through to be successful. And maybe they didn't make it or maybe they came back on the other end. And that's what we're looking to just get that heartfelt, warm story. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot. I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm one of the uh, types of people that, that learn more from their failures. So, you know, having experienced that, I, I push founders to you know, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, don't be afraid uh, to take risks. Uh, and, and on a personal side, uh, I, I tried. I tried to start to, to be a founder and failed myself as well. So before, before I, I eventually landed on the consultancy, uh, which was a, a great fit 
uh, I was obviously being Filipino uh, at this time in 2013 when I left banking. Uh, a lot of the outsourcing companies at this time were moving from India to the Philippines. Uh, nothing wrong with India, just because the, the Philippines, uh, the Filipino people had a less uh, thick of an accent, and and obviously the closer ties to American culture, it, it made sense for Filipinos to be customer service people and other outsource uh, perform other outsource roles. So my initial vision after leaving banking was to start a an outsource company. I mean, I felt that I had the really the relationships in the Philippines, and I felt that hey, if I just tell people I'm the next investment banker and I've I have a family in the Philippines. It'll well, I'll figure out some way to to make it to make it work. And we had some initial. We got some, you know, one to two clients. Um, you know, that it, it started looking like maybe this was something we could build. But eventually, at the end of the day, what I realized was nobody wanted to. At least the people I was talking to, they didn't really want to hire a bunch of Filipinos they didn't know. They just wanted to hire me. <laughs> so after after many conversations, and yeah, and that that was another great part of the. The experience is all the feedback I got, all the feedback I got talking to people uh, trying to pitch this outsourcing idea. It just kept on coming back to, yeah, we don't want to work there, but we'll work with you. And so, you know, it was that trial and error, that failure is the only way, the failure and the feedback was the only way I would have been able to start the consultancy. Because, uh, yeah, that if I didn't, you know, I probably would be still trying to run a small outsourcing uh, company in the Philippines. Or would be doing something, maybe I'd gotten back to banking. I don't know. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here right now if I hadn't gone through all those, those feedback uh, interviews with potential clients to realize what the actual, my narrative and what my messaging needed to be to win clients. But then once that changed, once I realized that and pivoted and taking those failures, it really unlocked um, the growth uh, of the consultancy. It really took off from there. Uh, on the investment side, again, failures. It's all about failures. My first two, I, my, everyone has, uh, everyone in the game has, has their own list of, of skeletons in the bag. <clears throat> you know, my, my first two investments, uh, two friends and family rounds, um, two, two fraternity brothers from Brown, uh, you know, that, that typical friends and family round. Uh, one was, um, this is again around 2013 when uh, medical uh, cannabis had just been legalized in, in Rhode Island and Brown is in Rhode Island. So yeah, that, that, that was the connection. So I invested in a, a medical cannabis dispensary license that uh, my fraternity brother was uh, was applying for. And then the second one was a different fraternity brother who had kind of built this like GPS powered Uber plus Yelp app um, at the time. Neither really took off, uh, obviously. Otherwise, you'd know. I mean, you wouldn't know about the cannabis one, but you'd you'd know about the app if it, if it took off. So none of those really took off. But again, like great learning experiences, just taking failure and learning why didn't that work out. Uh, what did, what can you take from it to, to move forward? And what can you take from it to never do that again? And having gone through those failures, again, I wouldn't have built up the, the portfolio uh, of companies that I've invested in now if I didn't go through those failures on the consultancy side and on the investment side. So just, yeah, taking your failures in stride and learning how to build from them and turning them into constructive outcomes Rather than you know sitting and wallowing in your you know your grief or your your uh, your pain and and trying to not be constructive, but taking those failures to grow and that those are some of the personal learnings I've learned that I think really helped me and that's what I try to you know teach other founders to to not be afraid to take failures because hey it might not work out but you might learn something about it that could eventually down the road uh, increase your valuation some way you never know like you said with you never know if I might start 
consulting with oil and gas companies again, you really never know who you might meet or, or what, what problem might arise. So yeah, take those failures and, and turn them into something good. That's a great story. And, and I think it bodes well for uh, founders because I think the fear is going outside of the norm or risking or taking the challenge on that you're not comfortable with. And, and I think, as you said, it, you know, if you didn't take it, you wouldn't be where you are. But I think the bigger thing is that you can relate now to founders way better than someone who's never actually tried it and they never went and saw if they could start a company and you went through the trial and error, had a few clients and then decided to you know fold it up. But I think that's the best learning possible because it drove you into being an investor and it drove you into uh, the spot and space you are today. So I think that's a, a fantastic uh, story. Yeah, definitely. And I think if people just focus on, hey, it's not I failed, but later you can continue writing your story, that failure would lead to something else. So don't, don't, you know, my, my advice to founders, yeah, don't, don't focus on those parts, focus on what can happen with it. I love it. No, that's awesome. Very, very, uh, very insightful. And, and again, I think it's brilliant because it allows you to relate to founders when you come across as never gone through the trenches of a startup world. It's tough for them to, to help think you really understand what's going on. And, and I think you can put yourself in their place and help them move through those problems quicker and faster. Okay, we're going to transition now into our one-to-one -one business personal questions. Are you ready to roll? 100%, I'm ready. All right, pick one or the other. You're coming in from the business perspective as an investor. So which one appeals to you the most? Founder or co-founder? Founder, definitely. Unicorn or a four-year 10x exit? Unicorn. Tech or CPG? Uh, as an investor, as an investor, probably CPG, uh, I have more uh, experience in CPG and I can add a lot more CPG, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather choose the other side, but yeah, it's going to have to be CPG it's just, just because of the background for the network. Perfect. NFTs or web 3.0? Web 3.0. Yeah. AI or blockchain? Blockchain. First time founder or second, third time founder? Oh, definitely second or third time founder. Yeah, well, yeah you would know. Yeah, given my past experience, yeah, 100%. First money in or Series A? Uh, first money in. would let, uh, Series A is already getting to a point where you're not even seeing some of the returns you can get anymore uh, at the pre-seed seed level. So, yeah, I'd prefer to be first money in. It's obviously easier to do Series A when you've had some institutions come in and it's easier to follow the smart money, but yeah, I'd be first money in. Love it. Angel or VC? As an investor, investing into a VC, or you mean uh, being an angel or a VC investing into a startup? Correct. Which side would you choose? Uh, yeah, angel. Board seat or observer? Uh, for the advisory board or for board of directors? Uh, just, yeah, where you'd come in, it, would you prefer to be a board seat or would you prefer to have a board observer role? Yeah, definitely. Board of directors, I don't think I'm at that level yet. It, I, I would be flattered if I was invited, but I don't think I'm qualified for that. Um, so definitely observing. But um, advisory boards, yeah, I sit on multiple advisory boards. Happy to take an advisory board seat. Perfect. Uh, safe or convertible note? Uh, convertible note. You got to you gotta get that interest component Uh but yeah, for, for the founders, I definitely push them to lead with the safe. It's definitely less restrictive and more founder friendly. So don't tell my clients that, but yeah, 
convertible note if I'm an investor. I love it. Uh, lead or follow? Uh, lead. Uh, well, I would I would like to lead. Uh, could definitely lead pre-seed. Um, seed Series A uh, at our check sizes probably can't lead there. But uh, yeah, down the road, we'd like to, to lead, but haven't led anything thus far. But yeah, open to, to looking at lead for pre-seed. I like it, setting it up for the future. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? The thrill, the, the, the thrill, the excitement. Number of companies invested per year? Uh, in the past, it's been one to two. And it looks like it's going to be one to two this year also, but yeah, definitely stepping it up. I uh, want to try to hit two to three uh, next year and the year after. Love it. Nice. Verticals of focus? CPG, uh, athletic apparel, blockchain, fintech, and prop tech are probably the, 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 bet, the strongest focus. But I'm in terms of the family office, it's agnostic. We'll take a look at anything. Okay. Two qualities, and I know we've talked about a bunch of these, but two qualities that need a startup needs in order to stand out to you. Uh, resiliency. Yeah, resiliency is the probably the most important. And relentlessness, I think. Resiliency and relentlessness, yeah. Love it. All right, personal side. Book or movie? Book. Superman or Batman? Batman, 100%, man. I think it's just... Uh, Batman, while Batman is, you know, a billionaire and a lot of people can't relate to that, uh, at the end of the day, he's a human being and goes through human feelings. Whereas Superman's a god. You can't, I can't relate to that. I don't know what being a god is or, or what those kind of emotions are like. So can't really relate to Superman on that side. But so, yeah, 100% Batman. Love it. Restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Uh, five minutes with Oprah, probably. Uh, I mean, obviously, I would love five minutes with either of them, but I feel like my weaknesses, uh, Oprah could probably fill those that side more than Bezos could fill. Uh, just thought, just their differing backgrounds. I feel like I've learned a lot more from Oprah's experience than from Bezos at this point. I totally agree. Mountain or beach? Beach. Bike or run? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? That's a tough one. It's probably going to be chicken nuggets. It's probably, yeah, probably <laughs> chicken nuggets. That's tough though. I like it. Depends what day. Trophy. I can't tell you that. Depends what the day is. All right. Trophy or money? Uh, money. Yeah, definitely money. Beer or wine? Beer. Camera or mobile phone? Uh, camera. King or rich? Rich. Concert or amusement park? Concert. Fortune cookie or birthday cake? Uh, birthday cake. Does anyone pick the fortune cookie? Oh. Yeah, someone did. Yes, another interview did. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I like it. I'd take the fortune cookie too, man. I like the unknown. So you're really going for the piece of paper. You're not really you're not talking about the eating the cake or the eating the cookie. No, so no, 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 man. It's yeah, it's oh, the, like either the you're getting the cele it's a celebration or it's the unknown message. I like the unknown message. I'm not a celebration guy. But then when it comes to actually eating the cake versus eating the I don't cake, eat either. Yeah, I don't, eat I don't like cookie. either. So I just go for the one is either you get a lot of people celebrating around you or you have a fortune cookie where you get to find out what's right. I like the uh, I'm unknown. Okay. So TED Talk or book reading? What do you mean? What's a book reading? Like if I read a book to someone or? 
or what is that? Uh, they do book readings at um, when you launch a book, you can go watch your the person that wrote it. They can do a reading, and you get to go and get a signed book and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably book so readings. Yeah, you're either doing so. the talk or you're the one doing it to listen to someone else. So, uh, yeah, yeah, probably I'll do the TED talk if I got it. Yeah, probably the talk. All right, cool. Uh, most famous person that pops in your mind? Rafael Nadal. Nice. Right now, yeah. Most uh, favorite movie, and what character would you play in the movie? Oh, most favorite movie again? Yeah, going back to Batman, probably The Dark Knight. I think so. Um, in terms of character, I don't really know. I never really Batman. Seen that yet. Yeah, that's that. That's that's a cheesy answer. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, whatever the whatever uh, Asian guy was in there, I'd probably have to take his role and be the, the Asian guy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, favorite book? Uh, the Beach by Alex Garland. Great book. The movie, not so good. The movie didn't really follow the book's uh, narrative, but yeah, the book is uh, for people who have seen the movie and not read the book. Definitely check it out. It's it's a different animal. Okay, done. I like it. Uh, Favorite app you're using today? Favorite app I'm using today? Um, probably LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn right now. Um, it's definitely it's a great funnel, great way to meet. That's how I met you. So yeah, it's definitely, yep. it's definitely been paying dividends. Um, definitely excited it. to work with you outside of this as well. Likewise, likewise. Um, all right, last two questions. First brand that pops in your mind? First brand that pops into my mind? Well, at this point, McDonald's, because we've been talking about the the, <laughs> the, the Big Macs and the, the chicken nuggets. Yeah, that'd be the first, that'd be the first right. one. What is the meaning of success to you? What is the meaning of success to me? Uh, I think, uh, well, there, there's two sides of it. There, there's a, a quantitative side, right? Everybody has their own uh, you know, FU money, as you would say, their, their number that they have in their head. Uh, but what really underpins that what underpins that quantitative side, uh, the qualitative side is I think when, because every person's number is different, any number that, that they would want to be able to say, you know, goodbye to the, to the rest of the world. But uh, I think what, what underpins that number for people is uh, being able to say, this is the point where I'm content with everything I have and I'm no longer looking for more or I don't have the need to just, produce more and consume more. And they start, they start forgetting about, or they start, they, they, they move that focus of what do I need to do to keep on moving up and instead shift that focus to what do I have in my life and what is important in my life and how can I spend more time there? So yeah, that's what I think. You have that quantitative side. Every, every person's number is different, but yeah, what really separates that number is at which point are you able to say, hey, I'm content with what I have and I'm, I'm fine to to, to spend time there and, and build uh, experiences there rather than trying to continuously try to reach for more money, which might not necessarily give you more happiness. I love it. I love it. Some good ways to, to figure out where you need to be, how you need to get there and, and doing it in a solace way so that you uh, don't hit too many road bumps, but at least you got to find balance there. So Tino, I think that's, uh, that's brilliant. And the very last question I'm going to ask is what is your superpower? What is my superpower? Uh, yeah, I'm a, yeah, yeah, going back to the advisory board building, that, that, that's the case study that I've seen work with some portfolio companies. So 
anybody wants help building out their advisor board, not, I don't mean me to sit on your board, but uh, I can help you strategize the, the people that you need to be thinking about uh, what's the best way to approach them and, and really see how you can, you know, use those people to, to take you to those, those kinds of five to 10 X valuation jumps you're looking for by bringing them on uh, that that's my superpower of, Oh, I, I like to, I love it. Uh, and, and I, I love doing that. I don't have to do it, but I, I continue to, to engage with founders to do it because I see there's, there's a big value there. And I, I think it's still uh, forgotten by, by some founders in terms of needing to invest in those, uh, those processes and entities. I love it. Tino, absolutely brilliant. I appreciate all your time today. I've taken a ton of notes and big fan. Looking forward to working with you. And the way we like to end our show is that we like to give you the last word to share anything you want to founders or to investors. But again, I appreciate all your time today and thank you for sharing. Hey, JP, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, for this opportunity. And yeah, again, I'm looking forward to to working with you on on several other things. Uh, like I said, you got a you got a great platform. You're living the dream. So you're definitely someone who maybe I have to hit you up to to be my own mentor. Uh, hopefully, if, if you if you'll have me, uh, <laughs> would love to talk about that. But yeah, in terms of what I have to say to investors and founders is yeah, just the same messaging that we talked about in the. In the over the previous hour is a don't don't be afraid to fail. Uh, uh, go and take risks. Go find the risks, and you never know what may come out of that or who you may meet. It might not succeed. It might not work out the first, second, or the third time. But you may meet someone who ends up being your co-founder or your investor or your advisory board member sometime down the road when you've opened up your new uh, venture. So yeah, don't be afraid and go out of your comfort zones. I find that when you go outside of your comfort zones, you, you, you make the most things. And the last thing I would leave is if you're in the smartest, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. So go find the rooms where there are a lot more people that uh, are smarter than you and, and more successful and good things will come out of those rooms that you, you mix and engage with. Well shared, love it, especially that last point. Uh, home run on that one, I'm hitting the red green button, but yeah, that's brilliant, man. If, if you're the smartest one in the room, you need to find a new room. So uh, you gotta keep challenging yourself and get yourself out of your comfort zone and you know work hard. And if you fail, just learn and keep moving forward. So you don't have to stop and, and, and spend months trying to correct yourself, just move forward. And I appreciate all the nice, uh, uh, comments. And uh, again, man, I appreciate all your time today, Tino. Thank you. That was great, JP. I'll, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. You bet. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. See you. I'll go on. Okay, Tino, that was awesome. Well, and you, I have to emphasize again, because we talked about it quite a few times, but you know, don't, don't be afraid to fail. Take the risk, uh, get out of your comfort zone. Uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I, I love that. I, I think it's always pushing yourself to be better, find more and keep challenging yourself, keep pivoting in your own way to keep growing your business and what you're doing. So Tino, thank you very much for that share and, and all the, the great things that you're doing. Uh, thank you. And thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or startup events, visit openpeoplenetwork.com. Thank you and have a fantastic day.